So as a community, we have been experiencing the power of God's word working in our heart through the book of Deuteronomy. And last week, Pastor Adam preached what my Aussie friend Simon would call one cracker of a sermon. And they mean that in a positive way, actually. It's a compliment, one cracker of a sermon on what the Jewish people consider the holy epicenter and affirmation of the faith, the Shema. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord with all of your heart and with all of your soul and with all of your might. This word Shema that appears in this word here in that passage, it shows up over 92 times in the book of Deuteronomy. It conveys this sense of not only just hear or, or, or listen, but lovingly obey. It's the central theme that ties Deuteronomy together. And so if you're just joining us, a quick recap of where we are in Deuteronomy Deuteronomy in the Old Testament, it's divided into three sermons that Moses preached to the second generation of Israelites whose parents had spent 40 years wandering and rebelling against God in the wilderness. So by the time that Moses preached these sermons to the Israelites on the plains of Moab, facing east towards the Jordan River, all of their parents who had crossed the Red Sea and lived through the Exodus stories, they had died. And so now you have this new generation standing there with bright hopes of entering into the promised land and enjoying God's blessing. So the great tension in Deuteronomy is, will this new generation Shema? Will they listen and obey the Lord or slip back into old patterns of rebelling against God and sinning and still wander away from God into the wilderness? Now, I imagine for a moment, if Moses had conducted a survey, a survey of everyone standing on the plains of Moab, I imagine no one would say, you know what? Life in the wilderness is amazing. There's no Wi-Fi and, and our food, it comes down from the sky and it lands on the ground uh, every day. And oh, there's snakes. It's the best. No one would have said that. They would have said, sign me up for Shema, for listening and obeying the Lord and living in a land flowing with milk and honey. But as we know, don't we? There's a world of difference between saying that we love someone and actually loving them when the rubber meets the road. By way of illustration, my wife and I next week are celebrating 22 years of married life together. 22 years. And shortly after Julie and I, we professed our undying love to one another on our marriage day. Here's a picture right here of that. Why are some of you laughing? That's so mean. 
You're laughing at our glamour shot. This was really, this was re- some of you are like, who's that giant that's like looking down right, right there? I don't know that person. Shortly after this moment right here, can you take that picture away? Uh, where we said, <laughs> it's so bad. <laughs> it's so, so bad. Shortly after we said, I do, in return from our honeymoon, we quickly realized that we had grown up in radically different homes. And so this had a huge impact on the way that we communicate and handle conflict and spend money and experience connection and exchange Christmas presents, which led to many, many not so happy moments in our early years of marriage. None more infamous in the Kaufman household than the 2006 Christmas cinnamon candle conflict. (laughs) Now, here's what you need to know. At this point in our married life, we were about five years in, so you would figure by this point, Julie and I, we knew one another fairly well. You'd assume that, but you would be wrong. Because what I had not disclosed to my wife by this point in our marriage is that I have what I would consider a complex relationship with cinnamon. I am a weirdo, yes. I have a complex relationship with cinnamon. Cinnamon as as a spice, I'm fine with. But cinnamon uh, as a scent, whether it's on brooms or candles, it makes me angry. I loathe it (laughs) so, so much. So imagine my wife's surprise when I opened up a present that she had taken the thought and love to wrap for me when I actually looked shocked to discover that she had gifted me a cinnamon candle. And I'm so ashamed to admit this, but I started crying. I started crying. My poor wife thought I was crying because I loved this candle (laughs) so much. When in truth, inwardly, I was thinking, does she even know me? And if she doesn't know me, how can she love me? Now, this moment that Jules and I can look back at and laugh at the point in time that that cinnamon candle was a part of our story, it wasn't that Julie and I didn't love one another with all of our heart, with every fiber of our being. We actually did. Truth be told, back then, we really didn't know how to love one another very well. And 22 years later, we're still learning. Friends, that's why... God of the universe gave us the book of Deuteronomy because it not only invites us to love God with all of your heart, all of your soul, and all of your might, it shows you how. It shows you and I how. So with that, turn to Deuteronomy 6 as we jump back in to this word and allow God's word to instruct our hearts to become people who shema who listen and lovingly obey the Lord. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, 
and with all your soul and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children. And you shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. This is God's word. We live in a culture where love is a feeling or an emotional experience that we fall into, which is portrayed in every Hallmark movie. People fall in love and then comes the moment where the Hallmark snow comes and they kiss at the end of a movie. No kissing till the final scene of the movie. I've watched a thousand of them. But the couples, they just fall into it. They're like, we're finally in love. We just fell into it. Biblical love is not something that we fall into. It's something we're formed into. We're formed into It's cultivated through intention and practice. It's not a feeling, it's actually an action. Now, if you've been a part of River Watch Church for any length of time, you know that one of our core values as a church that you hear us talk about all the time is formation. Formation, because we believe that God has called his church to be a a place where we become formed into disciples that love Jesus with all of our heart, with all our soul, with all our mind and all of our strength and love others. In fact, here's the slide right here. And that vision for discipleship formation, it involves the word. Let these words be on your heart, O Israel. It involves doctrine. The Lord is one. He's alone. There's no other God like him, and yet he's the triune God. It involves spiritual practices. Actually, speak God's word in your home, practice these things, tie them on to different facets of your life. And if we live that out, then it spills over into mission. You see, formation is not just a New Testament thing for disciples of Jesus, amen? From the very beginning, God's mission is to form a people that he loves so that he might show to the world his loving character, his goodness, his beauty, his grace. And honestly, there is no passage better suited throughout the scriptures that gives us a vision of how to be formed into people of love than this one right here in Deuteronomy chapter 6. And here's what's so brilliant about this passage. This is why followers of Jesus and Jewish people have turned to this passage to glean wisdom for centuries, is that as this formational work of learning to love God with every fiber of our being is cultivated within us, it spills over into every other sphere in our lives. So if you're taking notes today, it might be helpful to envision three concentric 
circles of Christian formation, three concentric circles. And at the center of that is the heart. Biblical formation, Christian formation, it always starts with the heart. Now, isn't it fascinating? Think about this, that Moses didn't say to this generation of Israelites, keep the 10 commandments and teach your children to teach the 10 commandments. He didn't start with that, nor does he start by saying, here's some spiritual practices to grow in your faith or raise a family. Instead, look at verse six in your Bible. And the first thing after the Shema that Moses says is these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. Now, it's important to note that when Moses refers in this verse here in verse six to these words, he's actually not referring to the 10 commandments. Unfortunately, in many translations like the NIV, which translates verse, verse six, let these commandments today be on your heart. It sounds like Moses or is referring to the 10 commandments, but he's not. What he's referring to, the emphasis in the Hebrew language, is on a singular command. Verses four and five, the central affirmation of the Jewish faith, the Shema. Let these words be on your heart. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord alone. You shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. As many of you know, Jesus called this the great commandment, the supreme command that all the law and the prophets hinge on. And as we learned last week, it is impossible to actually overdo this command, to love God too much. Every other thing, money, status, work, pleasure, Nashville hot chicken sandwiches. If we love these things too much, they will ruin us. But God is so bottomlessly beautiful and holy that we can never love him too much. Amen? Now, let's be honest, okay? It's church. This is a good place to be honest with your own heart. Most of us here today probably aren't struggling with loving God too much. If you are, you should really be up here preaching this sermon right now. So the real question is how do I, as a follower of Jesus, love God more faithfully and fully? And according to both Jesus and Moses, you don't grow in love for God by trying harder to be a kind, moral, decent, virtuous person. Instead, you grow in love for God by allowing his word to sink deeply into the recesses of your heart. 
Now, when the biblical writers talk about our hearts, they use this word lev or lavav, they're not primarily referring to the eight ounce organ in your chest that's pumping blood right now. Instead, they viewed the heart as the place within us where our desires and our longings and our loves reside. It is the feeling and thinking, but maybe most helpful, the desiring part of you. It's where your desire lives. This is why in the book of Proverbs, it tells us, above all, guard your heart because from it flows your whole life. The springs of life, your whole life flows out of your heart. And where your heart goes, your life will go. Now, as Westerners that have been shaped and influenced and discipled by enlightenment thinking, we tend to believe that our lives are primarily determined and dictated by what we think or as the French philosopher Descartes put it, I think, therefore, I am. Because of this deeply ingrained mindset in Western culture, the primarily, primary emphasis of discipleship in the West for the past 300 years has been to cram as much Bible into our heads as possible. But here's what you need to know, and this might go against your thinking. You and I are not primarily formed by what we think. We're formed at the deepest level by what you and I love. I like how one author, James K. Smith, in a book entitled, You Are What You Love, put it. He says, Jesus is a teacher who doesn't just inform our intellect, but forms our very loves. He isn't content to simply deposit new ideas into your mind. He is after nothing less than your wants, your loves, your longings. His teaching doesn't just touch us in the calm, collected spaces of reflection and contemplation. He is a teacher who invades the heated, passionate regions of the heart. Isn't that good? Now, please hear me. Here at River West Church, we believe that God's word is central to our spiritual formation. In fact, you have probably noticed that every single pastor who takes this stage is an absolute Bible geek. We love the Bible here at River West. We love God's word. We have taught through Romans, Ecclesiastes, and Deuteronomy, books of the Bible that people don't even know in their, in their Bibles. And there's over 745 men and women who are in Bible studies right now studying the gospel of John. And that is amazing. Amen? Thanks be to God for that. But here's what you need to know. These truths will never transform our lives until they actually move from our ears and even our minds and they seep down deep into our hearts. But how does that happen? 
And this is where the spiritual practices of meditation, contemplation, reflection are absolutely vital for us as followers of Jesus because they allow the truths of God's word to go from our ears and our heads down into our hearts. And they have a steeping effect. Do you know how to make a good cup of tea? This is the time of the year when the atmospheric rivers like return where I enjoy a good cup of tea this time of year. But you don't make a good cup of tea by putting a bag in there, pouring in hot water, and immediately taking the tea bag out. You let it sit in there. You let it steep for a while. That is what I believe God wants his word to do, to steep. And then as this word actually has its way to work into every recess of our lives, our hearts, our minds, our imaginations, our desires. But because we live in a culture that is built around speed and efficiency, slowing down, quieting our distracted hearts, and minds is actually extremely difficult and challenging. So if you are struggling, you don't know where to begin, how about starting here by memorizing the Shema, praying it into your life, beginning in your morning and your evening, praying these words here, O Israel, The Lord, our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord, your God, with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. Allow those words to start seeping into your life. A resource that might be helpful for many of you that many of us on staff, myself included, use Lectio 365 is an incredible free app that you can download. There's, there's family devotions, personal devotions, there's evening prayers, an incredible app to help God's word actually seep into your life. But here's what happens. As God's word actually gets worked into our hearts, it doesn't stay there. The deeper it goes into our hearts, it starts spilling over into concentric circle two, which is homes. It starts in the heart, but then it spills over into our homes. Look at this in verses seven to nine, and you'll catch this vision of family here. You shall teach them diligently to your children and talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand. They shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates." It's a vision of God's word starting in the heart and spilling over into homes. And although these words, they're absolutely directed to parents who are raising kids, it's not just limited to parents. So if you're single or you're not in a phase of life where you're raising kids who are living in your home, this passage has something to say to you. So don't tune out. But I want to talk to parents first. Parents, how are you doing? How are you doing? 
It's the most wonderful time of the year. (laughs) Wow. Okay, parents, I know reading a passage like this that there's many sitting here today that were thinking things like, man, I do not have time in my schedule for doing stuff like leading a family Bible study. And the last time I tried that, everybody just started crying and yelling at each other. Or I don't know how, actually don't know how to teach my kids and to do spiritual formation with them. Or some of you may be thinking, you actually don't know my children. They're actually like savage raccoons that call my wife and I bruh. Anyone else, like you have kids, actually, I'll pray for you. They call you bruh. They call you, no, it's just, it's just me. Okay, all right. A few of you, you're like, yeah, it's happening in our, our house. Thank you, TikTok. Can I just say, before we go any further into this, that I'm standing before you today, and I am not a parenting expert by any stretch of the imagination. But please hear me. You need to hear this, parents. There is no one that God has called that's better suited than you to disciple your kids. No one. There's no one better suited and equipped than you. But here's the good news. Although actually doing this may take an amount of diligence on your part, because Moses says, do this diligently, teach your kids diligently. This is not as complicated as you think. And let me show you. The passage, it tells us, talk about these things, talk about the Shema, talk about God's word when you sit in your house. How many of you, by a show of hands, sit in your house? Raise your hands right now. This is participatory. Don't lie in church, folks. How many of you sit in your house? Boom, you're qualified. You can do this. If you have a couch, you're qualified. Don't worry. We're going to get into what you do when the TVs are off and you start talking to your kids when they're off their devices. But oftentimes, we overcomplicate this. We envision something that's forced, but the vision is from your waking up to your going to bed, every opportunity, every context, every part of your busy day is a place where you can have these formational conversations. It's reinforced time and time again, just the ordinary rhythms of life. That's why Moses says, talk about these things or teach your kids when you walk by the way. You walk on the way. How many of you as parents, 95% of your life feels like you're driving your kids on your way somewhere? I'm surprised I'm not on my way to Costco right now. My children eat 17 times a day. I'm constantly on the way somewhere to basketball practices, to the gym, to Costco again. And what this passage gives us, and this is a gift, is it says those are the spaces to actually talk to your kids about loving God. That's the space. So if devices are off, then that can be a rich environment for gospel conversations. 
but you'll have to work at it to get past one word answers. One word answers. That's the big roadblock, isn't it? To get past just yes or no answers because 90% of the time, this is what my kids will say. How was your day? Good, good. What was your high? Lunch. What was your, what was your high? Food, food. They're, they're, this is just the mode that they're, they're in. Um, what is God doing in your life? Bruh, bruh. It's like, man. So how do you get past one word answers or bruh to actual gospel rich formational conversations? Lord Jesus, help me. In the rising and waking hours of your busy days, here's what for Julie and I have found that has been a gift for us from the Shema. With every opportunity that you get, you teach your kids how to love God with all of their heart, with all of their soul, with the unique God-breathed image of God with who they are, with all of their might, their energy, the things that they're interested in, the things they're good at, Every opportunity, it's not just to cram Bible knowledge into their heads, it's to actually teach them to love God. So you share honestly from your life, you share Psalms, you share stories, you share passages that God is impressing and working into your own heart. And as your kids get older, here's what I would recommend. Don't sugarcoat things or edit out your failures as a follower of Jesus. Be honest with your own formational story and the flaws and give them an honest window into how God has actually transformed your life. And as you do, I believe that will open up opportunities for them to believe and entrust themselves to the same Jesus that you love. Amen. Now, for folks who aren't raising kids or are single, this passage is filled with practical wisdom for your own formation as well. So look at verse eight in the passage again, where Moses instructs the people of Israel. He says, you shall bind them, these words, as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. Now, the first century Pharisees, the religious leaders of Jesus' day, they royally missed the point on this practical and metaphorical exhortation here. What they did is they took the Shema and they put it in small leather boxes called phylacteries, and they'd wear the Shema on their foreheads and they'd fasten it on their arms. They literally walked around with the Shema fastened to them, which may be actually a beautiful sign of how God's word is supposed to form and shape us. But they royally missed the point that this word, an invitation to love God with every facet of who we are, it's not intended to remain on your forehead or on your hands, but on your hearts. And so look at what Jesus says in Matthew 23, verses two to five. 
He says, the scribes and the Pharisees on Moses' seat, so do and observe whatever they tell you, but not the works they do. For they preach, but they do not practice. They tie up heavy burdens, hard to bear, and lay them on people's shoulders, but they themselves are not willing to move them with their finger. They do all their deeds to be seen by others, for they make phylacteries broad and their fringes long. Now, I want to be really careful in this moment right here with all of the evil anti-Semitic hatred that has risen up in our culture today. I want to make sure to say this. Our Savior Jesus, the Messiah of Israel, was born into a Jewish family. Jesus was a Jew. And he went out and preached the gospel of the kingdom and seeked and saved not just irreligious sinners like Levi, the tax collector, but also religious sinners like Paul, who wore a phylactery, most certainly. Jesus loves irreligious people and he loves religious people. And he's working to redeem and save his people, Israel, as well. We believe all of those things. Amen, River West Church. But please understand that God did not give his people the Shema so that they could go around comparing who's got the biggest box of scripture on their forehead. That is not why God gave us the Shema, this invitation to love him. In fact, here's what's fascinating. What really is intended in verse eight, where where Moses instructs Israel and says, bind these words and put them on between the frontlets of your eyes and tie them on your hands. As in Hebrew scriptures and teachings, the eyes symbolize our perception, the way that we see the world and our hands they actually symbolize actions. So this is absolutely brilliant. What this passage is saying is that discipleship, our formation, it should always impact our worldview and the way that we live, our eyes and our hands. But if you truly want to become a follower of Jesus, whose eyes and hands are being saturated with the gospel, then let me just say you should seriously consider joining a community group or a Bible study. From the earliest days, Jesus' church has gathered together in large settings like this to hear God's word proclaimed, and then the church has scattered into homes. And we believe that formation, the work of becoming like Jesus in the way that we think and we speak and we act, that something unique takes place when smaller groups of followers of Jesus allow God's word to seep into the practical areas of our life. Amen. So after the service, if you want to find out more about joining a community group, Pastor Derek will be out there. There's still opportunities to join the river, our women's Bible study and men's Bible study as well. We will make space for you. But here's what happens, folks. This is what God intends to do in our church, I believe. 
is to get these words, this invitation to love God with every fiber of our being into our hearts, have them spill over into our homes, but it doesn't stop there. If that happens, here's what's so beautiful. It will spill over into our city. It doesn't just end in our homes. And that's why in verse nine, the third concentric circle, it spills over into the gates of the city. In verse nine, Moses ends this practical exhortation by saying, you shall write them these words, the Shema, on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. Now, when we read this phrase about writing God's word on our gates, actually, it uses the same preposition in many of our translations. And this sounds like a small thing, but actually, it's more helpful to know that it should literally read, write them in your gates, in your gates. If you were to go right now to Israel, you would actually find many gates of the city that have a mezuzah. And inside of that mezuzah, it was actually built into a cylinder that was built into gates. And they would put God's word in there facing the city as a way of saying, we pray that God's word actually will shape everything that happens in this city. That's what Moses is is envisioning and hoping and praying will happen is that God's word will flow out of our hearts into homes and actually influence the shape of societies. So when you read about gates, don't envision a picket fence. Envision city hall downtown. Because the gates of the city in the Bible was the place of commerce and trade, a place of politics and policy, a place of leadership and influence. What happens at the gates shapes the whole city. So this this verse and instruction, it has everything to do about where we work, about where we go when we leave this sanctuary and go back into society. So let me just say this, friends, whatever your vocation, whether it's medicine or marketing, whether it's counseling or coffee roasting, whether it's teaching or parenting, Every sphere of our fractured, broken society needs followers of Jesus to be salt and light and live out the Shema with the help of the Holy Spirit so that our world can see and witness and experience the love of Jesus Christ. Amen? That's what our world needs is people of Shema that actually leave their homes and go to the gates of the city. This Tuesday, over 200 of you have signed up to volunteer for our Christmas outreach event. Over 200 of you are going to participate with our partners, dinner and a movie that are here today to actually seek ways to express the love of Jesus Christ as meals are delivered to homeless camps scattered throughout our city as under-resourced families come and get to experience Christmas here. And we wrap hundreds of presents together and fill this place with the welcome of God's love. Why do we do things like this? Why? 
Folks, here's why. It's because we worship and follow a savior who died on a cross outside the gates of a city. That's why we do this. Let these words from Hebrews chapter 13 seep into your heart this morning. This is filled with so much gospel power. So Jesus also suffered outside the gate in order to sanctify the people through his own blood. Therefore, let us go to him outside the camp and bear the reproach he endured. For we have no lasting city. For here we have no lasting city, but we seek the city that is to come. River West, there is a city that is coming where there will be no more sin, no more brokenness. We will all love together God with every fiber of who we are, with all our heart, with all our soul, and with all our might for all eternity. And before we get there, let us go to the broken places where Jesus bore reproach. Amen? I'm gonna have the worship team come and we're gonna respond this morning. We're gonna go to the table and we're gonna celebrate what we just read about. That our savior Jesus, to sanctify us, to cleanse us, inform us into people that can actually live out the Shema, that he suffered outside of the gates of Jerusalem, that he bore the reproach that you and I deserve, all of the shame of sin. He bore it in his own body on the cross so that we might be able to love God faithfully and fully. Let's bow our hearts and let's go to the Lord in prayer and let's bring our honest needs before him. Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, from this incredible gift, Lord, in your word of inviting us to love you with all that we are. And Father, we just want to confess together that there are areas in our life, Lord, where we're not loving you the way, Lord, that you have invited us and instructed us to love. So Father, in this moment right now, I pray that your Holy Spirit, Lord, would be at work taking, Lord, your word and impressing it in those practical areas of our life, Lord, where we need your help. We need your grace. Father, thank you, Lord, that you've made a way through Jesus in this moment to not run away from you, but to accept the love that you extend. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.